Hi, welcome again to our Holy Spirit series as we continue to travel through the gifts of the Spirit. And today we're looking at the gift of tongues. Now, if you've been journeying with us, you will remember that we've kind of categorized the gifts. It's not an absolute categorization, but we've looked at them in three different categories. We first of all looked at the revelation gifts, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, and the gift of discerning of spirits. And then we looked at the power gifts, faith, healing, and miracles. And today we're beginning the first of the vocal gifts, um, tongues, then interpretation of tongues, and we'll finalize with, with prophecy. But today we're going to begin looking at the gift of tongues. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, to another the gift of different kinds of tongues. And then Paul goes on to talk about it in the end of chapter 12. Now you're the body of Christ, verse 27, and the members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. There it is. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And we'll look at what Paul was talking about in those latter verses later on. But we've seen that one of the major principles when we consider the gifts of the Spirit, and Paul keeps reiterating this, is that there must be edification for the benefit of the body of Christ. And edification comes from mutual understanding. And so there's no doubt about it. Paul says in chapter 14 and verse 4 that a person can edify themselves through speaking in tongues. If you look at that verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church because prophecy is understood in the native language, but tongues is not understood. And so the purpose of all the gifts of the Spirit in the church context, I want to emphasize that, when they're being used in the church body uh, audibly, um, the, the, the purpose is corporate edification. Everybody needs to be built up. And for that to happen, there has to be understanding. Also in chapter 14 and verse 28, we see this borne out when he says, but if if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. And then uh, verse 16 and 17 bear the same thing out again in verse, uh, sorry, chapter 14. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? So if you're giving a word of thanks in tongues, how can a person amen it if they don't understand it? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So he's not negating the person speaking in tongues. He's just emphasizing, whilst this is a valuable gift and you are being edified yourself as you speak in tongues, unless there is an interpreter, there is no edification to the rest of the body because they don't understand what you're saying. And of course, Corinth had a problem of people doing their own thing, uh, operating independently of the rest of the body. And so there's a teaching and an emphasis here in Paul's writings to Corinth that there must be edification and things must be done in an orderly fashion. Now we have to appreciate the Corinthians knew what the gift of tongues was. They knew what interpretation was. They knew what prophecy was. And so we have to play catch up a little bit 
uh, and ask a few more basic questions than we have answers here uh, explicitly at least in these passages. What is this gift of different kinds of tongues, variety of tongues? Now let me take you right back to the book of Genesis. In Bible history, we, we read that in the beginning, the whole earth was of one language and one speech. Genesis 11 verse 1. And then we read the awful story of Babel and how God realized that mankind united together in evil intent was going to do despicable, abhorrent things on the earth. And so he sent confusion among them. He confounded their languages and hence we've got the variety of languages uh, internationally in the world. And surely what we see here in the New Testament gift of tongues is the redemptive sign of the reversal of that division that came uh, at Babel because of a judgment upon man's sinful intent. And we know from the book of Revelation that ultimately the conclusion of the redemptive story will be that from every tongue, tribe and people and nation there will be a, a, a throng of the redeemed who will sing praise unto the Lamb. And so the gift of tongues, if you like, is a foretaste of the unity of the language that there will be in heaven where we will all finally be one together in Christ for all eternity. And uh, this gift of tongues is given at certain times uh, in a partial way, it is an imperfect gift. And I want you to understand that all the gifts of the Spirit are imperfect. They're good gifts from God, but as we operate in them, they're not complete. In chapter 13, verse 9, we've seen that as well. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. So this is a two-step process for the benefit of the church. There's tongues and interpretation of tongues, it's not perfect, but it's still an improvement on Babel, and it points forward prophetically to the unity it will have forever in eternity. And the first time the book of tongues pops up, sorry, the gift of tongues pops up in the New Testament is in the book of Acts, of course. And in Acts chapter two at Pentecost, verse four, we read that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it's obvious that the miracle was in the speaking and the tongues, not the hearing. And we read further down in that passage, Acts 2 verse 11, that Cretans and Arabs said, We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So the context was the Jewish visitors were coming to the Feast of Pentecost for the, this great festival from various nations across the empire and they heard these early apostles and disciples of Christ speaking miraculously the mighty works of God in their own languages. And this is symbolic uh, of how the gospel would be taken to the whole world. And we saw in our introductory sessions to this series on the Holy Spirit that in chapter 8 uh, of course, chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit being poured out in Jerusalem, Judea, to the Jews. But chapter 8, we see the Holy Spirit given to the Samaritans. Then chapter 10, to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. And then chapter 19, to those 12 Ephesians who were left behind um, in, in the process of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And all these baptisms in the Holy Spirit, except chapter 8, that is, of the Samaritans, 
all of them explicitly show evidence of baptism in the Spirit through tongues. And even in chapter 8 where tongues is not mentioned explicitly, there was some kind of evidence saying that people knew that they had received the Holy Spirit. And of course Simon Magus certainly was very impressed with whatever happened to these recipients of the baptism of the Spirit. It may well have been, been tongues. But certainly it appears in this uh, apostolic record that tongues was the most common sign. I'm not saying it's the only sign or ex 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 exclusive, but it seems to be the most common sign for a person being baptized or, or uh, 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 filled with the Spirit. Now we have to be aware of making rules. Christians love making rules around doctrines and we must be aware because laying on of hands for the filling baptism of the Spirit is only found two out of those four occasions that I've mentioned, chapter 2, 8, 10 and 19. And there's one incident, as I said, where tongues is not explicitly mentioned. So be aware of making rules to say that someone's not baptized or filled with the Spirit if they don't speak in tongues or laying on of hands always has to take place. Laying on of hands is an important thing. Speaking in tongues is an important thing. And it might be the most common expression of the baptism of the Spirit. But let's not make rules. Let's not put God in a box around uh, the Holy Spirit's um, instrumentality. Now on the basis of Acts chapter 2, some people have said that the gift of tongues must always be known human languages. And it, it is true that the Greek word glossa, for tongues it essentially means languages and that's how the reader would have understood tongues as a translation is a bit more of a strange term but i would retort another question to those who say it must be understood always as human languages what other word could paul have used um, to communicate what he's trying to say other than glossa uh, which is translated often in English, tongues. And indeed, there's other material that indicates that um, these were languages at times, but, but actually more than mere human languages on occasion. In fact, when you go uh, to chapter 14 uh, of 1 Corinthians and verse 2, Paul says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. No one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. At times, no one will understand people speaking in tongues. Um, and so he's talking about praying, by the way. He's not talking about preaching here or giving a, a prophecy or a word to the church in tongues. He's actually speaking of someone praying in tongues and no one will understand what they're saying. Now, if it was only a known human national language someone in the gathering w would understand if if it was for them so it seems rare that unbelievers of other nationalities would have been present in a gathering um, and then paul discourages people to speak in tongues without prophecy so if this was only known human languages national languages that are familiar with people around the world if it was only that it is that sometimes but if it was only that you would expect there to be always believers of other nationalities present and it would be very strange to need an interpreter if those people understood the message if it was intended for them paul actually discourages them from speaking unless there is an interpreter so um 
I hope this is making sense for you. When you come to chapter 14 and verse 18, we see something else that's insightful. Paul says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Why would he want to speak in known languages in private? And this had to be in private because uh, he's speaking in it more than the Corinthians and the Corinthians were speaking to excess without interpreters. So he's speaking this language in a private prayer capacity, we believe. Why would he do this if it was a known language only and there were no interpreters? There was no need for an interpreter because there was no one listening of another language. It just doesn't make sense. Just because these were known languages once in the Bible in Acts chapter 2 doesn't mean that they always have to be known languages. And the, the, the Bible is indicating that it's more than that. Sometimes it's known languages, other times it's, it's more than that. And some people use Acts 2 as a blueprint for tongue speaking in general. But there are certain elements of Acts chapter 2 that are unique to the day of Pentecost. For instance, there were tongues of fire that rested on the heads of the apostles. And we don't require that to happen every time people speak in tongues. There were other elements as well. I'm not saying that can't happen. Um, I'm not saying that Paul prohibits group praise in tongues. I think that's permissible at times. Or prayer in tongues without interpretation at times. Uh, when it's not a specific message to the church. I think what we're talking about here, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, is when someone is standing to give a specific prayer on behalf of the assembly or give a message of prophecy in tongues or a, a, some other message from God in tongues, there needs to be interpretation. But the instruction in Corinthians to do with tongues comes after many years of experience of the gift of tongues in the church, many years more experience than the the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Acts is a historic record of the first occurrence of tongues, but 1 Corinthians is explicit teaching on how it ought to be exercised in Corinth. And, um, and I, I'm not saying that every minutiae of detail in the 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 to do with tongues applies to every church. Some of it may only be specific to Corinth because of the excesses that there were. So only two or three speak. Um, may be just peculiar to, to Corinth um, rather than a rule for every church that there has ever been. So the question I'm really asking is should Acts or Corinthians be the regulative scripture for speaking in tongues? And it's interesting when we consider that because Paul effectively in Corinthians says the opposite of what happened on the day of Pentecost in the church. Because on the day of Pentecost, all people spoke in tongues. Um, and yet Paul says all should not speak in tongues, but two or three, one after the other. And on uh, and, and, and the day of Pentecost, everybody knew what was being spoken because they spoke in their own language. But Paul says in Corinth, if there's not an interpreter, nobody knows what's being said. So all I'm saying is let's err on the side of caution and be careful making rules um, around speaking in tongues in particular and the gift of the Spirit in general. So let me be very clear. Certainly the gift of tongues can be human languages, but there seems to be more to it. In fact, the Greek word is various kinds of tongues. It's the same word that we get the word genus from, genus. Um, so there are different genre 
of tongues. And there's probably a hint to this in chapter 13, verse 1. It's more than simply poetic language when he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. He seems to be there contrasting the tongues of men, known human languages, with the tongues of angels, with spiritual unknown tongues. And again, let me point you to verse 2 of chapter 14. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. Uh, however, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. So there's a mysterious aspect to some gifts of tongues. No one understands. And further down, verse 11 of chapter 14, Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Then down to verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, this this is spiritual. There's some dimension of an aspect of tongues that is spiritual that bypasses the mind. The spirit is praying animated by the Holy Spirit. Then verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with understanding. That's when interpretation comes. I will sing in the Spirit and I will also sing with understanding. If you get the interpretation yourself or if you pray or sing in English or if there's an interpreter there. So the, the, the Spirit, the human Spirit is being animated by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit is speaking directly to God bypassing the mind. Now, let me just say that that is an absurd assertion to intellectually driven Christianity today, particularly in the West. Because they have a concept that everything must come through the mind. And anything that does not come through the mind can't be of God. Whereas Paul is actually saying something different. He's saying that revelation comes to the Spirit first by the Holy Spirit and often it bypasses the mind. Now, it might go through the mind again for interpretation and understanding, but primarily it comes first to the Spirit. And that is an offence to the sometimes the intellectually driven, academically driven Christianity. I'm not against academia or intellect. I'm just saying that when we realise that this is not coming from my mental abilities and my aptitude and prowess, in the mind but it's actually coming from God by grace to the spirit directly and it's got very little to do with me well that breeds humility whereas uh, knowledge puffs up Paul said now so I want you to see that tongues can be a form of praise it can be a form of prayer we've already seen that from the verses that we've read and this is a form of praise or prayer spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker and the hearer most of the hearers anyway, when it's, when it's a heavenly language rather than a, 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 an earthly language. It can be used for exhortation, but it needs interpretation when a message is being given to the church. So what I'm saying here is, whenever someone stands up and speaks to the church or prays on behalf of the church on their own, in tongues, or gives a prophecy in tongues, there needs to be interpretation for the church to be edified. And we know that that's the purpose of all the gifts of the Spirit edification. So that's an introduction to tongues and I, I want to stop there rather than go on too far and I, I want to um, spill out into another session to do with answering some questions around this gift and then we'll move on to the gift of interpretation. Now you might say why have you taken several 
um, videos on tongues, um, on several videos on healing and not with some of the other gifts of the Spirit. That might give you the impression that I think these are more important than the others. They are not more important. I want to emphasize that. But the fact of the matter is they are more controversial. Healing, tongues, and as we'll see probably later on, prophecy, we might need to spend more time on prophecy. They're the most controversial and the ones that people have the most questions about. So that's the only reason why we're taking a little bit of time over them. And I don't want to push too much into one session. So hopefully that's given you enough to whet your appetite about the gift of tongues. And we'll answer a few questions the next time. Lord, we want to thank you for this wonderful gift of tongues. We're told not to despise it, not to forbid the speaking of tongues. And we pray that you will deal with our hearts around this beautiful gift and help us to understand what it's for, how it benefits the church, how it can edify ourselves in private. Lord, just instruct us, we pray, about what the purpose is to glorify your name through this gift and to build us up. And I pray that the people may become hungry for this gift in their own personal lives as we pray in the mighty, mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Come and join us next time as we continue to look at this gift. God bless you.